I'm Andrew Constantine, and this is A Stick With A Point. Hello everyone, my guest today on the podcast is a person who brings tremendous energy and commitment to her work. There are many music competitions around the world, some of great and some of rather limited meaning and value. And there's also a growing debate about their integrity and the validity of some of the voting protocols. Well, woe betide anyone who tries to impugn the projects run by today's guest. Jessica Brennan, the director of the Menwin competition and manager of the Donatella Flick LSO conducting competition. Hello. Hello, Andrew. Nice to see you. Wonderful to see you too as well, Jess. Uh, if I can call you Jess, you good with that? Absolutely. As long Fantastic. as it's not Jesse. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Okay. Now, you have uh, two jobs there, two very interesting titles. Um, we'll come into the different competitions in a moment, come to them in a moment. Um, but I, I must say, I'm intrigued to, to meet somebody um, who obviously has to be there in the background making these wonderful competitions work, and that's you. And so tell me, first of all, something about you and how you got into this line. Okay, um, well, obviously, I'm a big music fan. Um, classical and inverted commas music. I studied for a degree in music at Goldsmiths College at the University of London way back when. Um, came over fresh face from Northern Ireland to the big city and absolutely fell in love with contemporary music, which Goldsmiths is very much geared towards. Uh, so I had a wonderful three years there. Uh, made a lot of great friends, heard a lot of great music, went to a lot of great gigs. Um, and then actually went back to Northern Ireland and started working for the Ulster Orchestra, where I had great fun, met a lot of nice artists, uh, went on some fun tours, like to South Korea, which the orchestra had never been to before, which was back in the early 90s. Um, and from there went on to the BBC Symphony Orchestra, uh, where I was the concerts manager and worked on the proms and um, had a great time there as well. Fantastic musicians and right up my street with all the contemporary music that they perform extremely well. Quite staggering the amount of music they get through and how quickly they can uh, master it. And from there went to run the BBC Young Musician of the Year competition, which is a really big thing here in the UK. Um, it's the biggest competition for young musicians in the whole of the country. And of course it's put out on the BBC, so it's great exposure for young artists. Um, went from there to running BBC Proms in the Park and then left the BBC and went freelance and have done various uh, projects since then, including setting up a lovely youth orchestra at the Barbican Centre in London with Sir Colin Davis when he was alive. Um, and then um, started to work on the Donatella Flick LSO conducting competition with the wonderful 
Donatella um, and uh, then also was asked to be the uh, project director for the menu and competition when it came to London in 2016, which was uh, Yehudi Menuhin's centenary, uh, and came back to work on that in 2018. And of course, we were meant to go to the lovely city of Richmond, Virginia, back in 2020 for the um, 2020 menu and competition. Um, and of course, that was first of all postponed uh, for a year as we waited to try and ride out the pandemic and um, unfortunately we had to put everything online this year and it was the 2021 menu and competition uh, but still had a good time with that and had some marvellous winners from that. That's a, a wonderful progression um, <laughs> and, and, and you know it's, um, it's kind of the same sort of progression as, as any, any career in a sense but you went from managing the performing side, the directly performing side, into a totally different lane, which is helping young musicians in a competitive environment. And I think a lot of people would say that the music business is highly competitive in any way. Um, mm -hmm. But were there sort of philosophical challenges in, in your own mind to, to go from one to the other? Uh no, the, I wouldn't say there are any philosophical challenges because the way I have always approached any competition that I have been involved with is that it, everything has to be scrupulously fair. Um, so one of, the, one of the parts of competitions that I am very wary of are the ones that, um, shall we say, there are undue influences on who wins. Um, and I was absolutely determined that anything that I had anything to do with, whether it was jury, whether it was how people enter, how they progress, um, would be very, very transparent. And um, there would be absolutely no pressure on anyone from any person or organization to influence anything that happened in any competition that I was running. And, uh, and I, I can honestly say hand on heart that in all the years that I've been doing competitions that I've never allowed that to happen. And I've had some run-ins with some characters um, who have tried to do that and they have been given or shown the door very quickly. Yeah, Jess, I, I can vouch for that. Um, not that you tried to show me the door, but... Um... <laughs> Having sat on the most recent jury of the Donatella Flick LSO competition, um, I didn't sense for a second any pressure from any direction, from any of the other jurors or any outside influence or anything about, well, aren't you sure? Are you sure? Don't you think this candidate would be? Nothing like that. Absolutely no. nothing. It, it really was fair. And um, I'd also say that I wouldn't like to be the person that messes with you because... You seem to be an incredibly uh, straight shooter and um, very strong personality. So you're probably in the absolutely perfect role. So bravo you. Thank you. Well, I, I, just, I do. I just feel it's my duty um, to protect the people who have put so much work mm. into entering these competitions, because um, when people watch them, when, you know, so when they get to the televised 
stage or the a recorded stage. People sort of tend to think, oh, aren't they wonderful, these young people? Um, I wonder what, you know, I wonder what goes into getting there. But they really have no idea of the years and thousands of hours of practice and preparation that goes in. And I would just be horrified to think that any of them went away thinking, actually, I don't, I don't think that was fair. I think that something that happened to me there was not fair. Mm. So uh, I really go as far as I possibly can to make sure that everyone has a good experience and goes away thinking, I gave my best, whether I, um, whether I progressed or not, whether I won or not, at least I gave my best and I was given a fair hearing. So have there been occasions where you felt you've had to, to step in and actually uh, assert a degree of um, authority over, over a, um, a developing situation and to, to get the events, the competition, whichever it was, to be able to rise above any potential controversy? Yes, um, I, do, I do remember, well, there have been a couple of occasions with very, uh, uh, shall we say, pushy parents or teachers mm. in the competitions for young people that I've had. And I had a particularly unpleasant experience with someone um, whose pupil was in the, uh, I think it was either, I think it might've been the string semi-final of the BBC Young Musician of the Year competition many years ago. And when it was announced that their pupil had not proceeded to the string final, pushed their way backstage into the jury room and started to berate the three uh, string experts who were on the panel. And I let him speak for about 30 seconds and then and sort of get rid of his ire. And then I said, right, stop. This is absolutely disgraceful and you're not doing your pupil any good service. I want you to leave. And he, so he was quite shocked and left the room. And I then wrote to the institution that he was from and explained to uh, the head of that institution what had happened and actually the three people who were on the jury were alumni of that same institution. And I pointed this out to the head of that organization and um, steps were taken after that for that individual. So it, it was very unpleasant. And I have no doubt that the poor participant would have been absolutely mortified had they realized what was going on. I'm sure of it. I'm thinking as well as you're telling me all of this that that as your own career has developed and the competitions you're involved in gets more maybe prestigious isn't the word but certainly a, a bigger international um, exposure to them um, perhaps you lend greater credibility to them than you realize uh, if 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 people um, know you're involved I like this angle well that's very kind of you to say so Andrew but um, it's not I mean the thing about my job is it's very much behind the scenes and that's where I like to stay and um, I like the fact that uh, you know 
my team and I have a chance to work on these projects over many months and we like to prepare very very carefully and we and very much like to try and anticipate any problems or any situations that we think might come up mm, yeah. um, and get ourselves ready to deal with those types of situations. I now mean you touched on you touched on a very good point there. I don't want you to 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 gloss over and that's preparation for many months because uh, these competitions don't just happen with a week or two weeks of throwing something together. Let's get a hall, let's get an orchestra, uh, let's tell people to come and do their best. How long does it take you to prepare one of these competitions? Well, both the both the projects that I do are um, biannual. So it really takes, um, I would say, a good 20 months uh, in preparation for each one. So we've just finished both the Donatella Flick LSO conducting competition and the Menuhin competition. They both happened in May and where I'm already starting with my team to go through all the planning for each of those for 2023. What do you think the role of competitions are ultimately in, in the young musician's life? Um, let's go back to the establishing of a competition, first of all, because there are a lot of competitions out there. And I want to ask you in a bit if you think there are maybe too many competitions, but what do you think the role of a competition should be? Is it all about the winner or is there a way you try to create a platform for people, however they depart the competition, to move on from? Um, for me, it's very much not just about the winner. And um, I think in all the, all the competitions that I've been involved with, it's been a very varied set of people who have progressed and have become um, or have made uh, music their career successfully. Um, so it could be the winner. It could be somebody who didn't even get through to the semi-final. You know, there's a whole range of fabulous young musicians who all develop and mature at different ages so you might for example um we had a when i was at young musician of the year we had a 12 year old win in 2002 who is a fabulous violinist now has matured into a fabulous fabulous violinist she was amazing when she was 12 but it has again taken um and she she realizes that she had a lot to learn even though she had won the biggest sort of young musician prize in the UK. And she understood even then, that was just a first step for her on a very long journey of lifelong learning uh, and loving music. Um, I think uh, for others, uh, I, I do worry sometimes that they put everything into it and then if they don't win, it's a huge disappointment. But I think the way to approach all competitions um, is to think, right, this is a, first of all, it's an opportunity for me to learn not only repertoire, um, but how to present myself, how to interact with other musicians, how to make friends, learn about music, um, learn about other cultures, particularly with reference to the menu and competition, the whole, one of the real point, unique points of which is we get 
so many young people from countries from all over the world together in one city where they learn about that city and that country, but they also learn from each other. Um, so learn all of that social side of it and that networking and interconnecting side of it. But also um, learn how to deal with disappointment because there's only going to be one winner of any competition. And if there are 300 people entering, that's not a very, it's not a very high chance it's going to be you. So um, to do your best, take all the positives you can from it and learn how to move on. And one thing I'm also always very keen um, to provide in, in any competition I've been involved in is feedback. So um, whether it's in written form, whether it's um, whether the um, people get to chat with the jury, uh, that sort of thing I think is very important. So that's helping candidates immediately um, um, beyond the competition. Is there ever a, a more long-term connection with participants? Yes, uh, particularly with the menu and competition, uh, one of the things we really do try to do is to um, set up performance and learning and development opportunities for them. Um, and we have uh, many uh, connections with different organizations, orchestras and venues around the world. And we partner with them to provide, um, whether it's uh, going to a sort of string academy, whether it would be going to do a recital in a festival um, or a concerto with a large orchestra, all of these opportunities we really try and develop um, for the years after the people have been through the menu and competition. Mm. And what about the, the number of competitions? Uh, I, I want to talk specifically about conducting competition uh, in a moment and, and, and how that takes place. But I noticed that when it took place earlier this year, um, May of this year, there were immediately after that a whole host of other quite significant conducting competitions. Mm -hmm. You must be aware of that. Um, and so to an extent, you must think we need to make this distinctive. We need to make this attractive relevant and valuable at the same time. So is there a way that you, you navigate that route? Um, I have to say I'm very fortunate because the two projects that I am uh, involved with uh, are, I would say this, wouldn't I, um, are unique. First of all, the Donatella Flick LSO um, conducting competition. Uh, has this association with the London Symphony Orchestra, which is obviously going to be very attractive to any young conductor. Um, and the fact that Donatella Flick um, has put so much support behind young conductors over 30 years now, it's quite staggering. Um, and because she has been so uh, motivated to help um, young uh, European conductors, um, she has been able to establish it as one of the foremost competitions. So it is so well known um, all around the world. Um, and I'm confident that uh, people come and enter that 
because they know it's a really substantial and a really important um, way to showcase their talents. And the menu and competition, actually, the, one of the reasons why I was interested in, in becoming involved with it, um, first of all, all the jury um, have to perform at the competition. So it's not a case of just coming and sitting and listening and giving your opinion. We have performing musicians on our jury and we ask them to take part and interact in, in many events throughout. So it's actually a menu and festival. The competition is the kind of kernel of the nut of the menu and competition. So um, it's a competition and a festival and there, it runs over 11 days. And there are many events uh, that surround the competition itself. So the jury have to perform, they have to give master classes, they have to meet all the kids and give them face-to-face -face feedback. Um, and we have an incredible education and outreach program that goes with each iteration of the menu and competition. So we work very closely with the host city in whichever country we're visiting that year. And we work very hard to include their organisations, their education programmes, and bring many young people into the environment of the menu and competition and make it a really satisfying experience, not only for our competitors, but for the people in the city where it's happening. That sounds wonderful, Jess. It also sounds incredibly expensive. How is it funded? Yes, it is. Um, and it, it, well, there isn't one particular way that it is um, funded, depending on which host city uh, we decide we're going to go to. Um, they are the ones who are responsible for finding the funds to put it on. So, um, for example, um, when I did the competition in London in 2016, we had a great partnership of organisations um, who all give their services in kind. So we had a base at the Royal Academy of Music, which was absolutely fabulous. We were given um, access to their practice rooms, their wonderful Duke's Hall in the centre of London. Uh, all their staff, all their streaming and technical staff were involved. So we did the competition rounds there. We also had a partnership with the Philharmonia Orchestra at the Southbank Centre. And our some of our concerts were part of their subscription series. And our jury took part in concerts with them, as well as some of our prize win winners. So that, um, as part of their subscription series, then they took the box office money from that. Um, we then partnered with other organisations in London to put on um, smaller events in other venues. And we also partnered with the Royal Academy Education and Outreach team to go into schools and hospitals and care homes with our competitors. And um, we also partnered with the Southbank Centre um, education team and put on events there. So there, there are ways of doing it. It's, it's expensive if you have to pay for all of that side, if, if you were the person doing all that. But when we get you get fabulous organizations like that coming involved and wanting to be part of it, 
then the, the cost is spread out. That's a fabulous footprint you created for, for that competition. Is that something you try now to replicate, use as an example for other cities when you're trying to entice them to be involved? That's, that's how we explain how it can work. Obviously, there are other cities um, who do it differently. For example, uh, the competition went to Geneva in 2018, um, and a private Swiss foundation decided that because they wanted it to come to Geneva, they were going to pay for everything that was involved with that competition. So that was a completely different way of, of setting up a competition. Um, in, uh, when we were due to go to Richmond, uh, Virginia, there was a, a great consortium of um, organizations in the city, including um, University of Richmond and uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in partnership with the Richmond Symphony and Virginia Public Media. So they that was a consortium that came together because they wanted the competition and they all worked together to plan a fantastic festival events of events which of course didn't happen well happened online but didn't happen live apart from I think two uh, Richmond Symphony concerts which were great. Now let's go back to the competitors for these competitions starting with the violin competition because you have yeah. a very specific set of age ranges don't you? Yes we do so um, we have up to uh, basically everyone has to be under 22 but we have a junior and a senior section and it's up to 15 uh, no sorry up to 16 and then you can enter the um, senior section if you're 15 up to 22. Right and and what's the the rationale behind that is it going back to what you said earlier of leaving room for people to develop once they've been in a competition, not necessarily find the finished product. Exactly, exactly that. And um, we, we have had some people who've returned um, a couple of times in different sections. Uh, and as they've progressed, they have done better. So that that's, that's comforting because we know that they've obviously had a good experience when they've entered the first time that they want to come back and enter again. Mm, and value the potential outcome as well, which is why. Exactly. Yeah. And I suppose that's really in line with a lot of Menuhin's own thinking, isn't it, about the him being such an amazing prodigy, about the developmental um, um, process, trajectory, whatever you want to say, for very gifted young musicians and helping yes. that way. Yes, I think that's right. Um, it's funny, uh, Yehudi was not, um, although he started this wonderful competition, he was very much not interested in, uh, in first prize or anything like that. And um, from what uh, I have heard in the early stages of the competition, he was so interested in all of the competitors that he really wanted to give everybody a prize um, and wanted everybody, everybody to be involved in the final concert. And the final concert used to go on for hours and hours because at the, at the last minute he would say, oh no, but so-and-so must be included and they must get a chance to do this. So um, I, I would love to have been around when the competition started and to have worked with him. I think it would be amazing. But again, it was, it was very much his philosophy in finding the competition that it really was a chance for young people to come together 
meet each other, exchange ideas, and make friends through music. Well, that's very uh, much in line with with the worldview of, of Yehudi Menuhin, who was who was this um, exactly great um, musical philosopher in so many ways, an altruist and developer of so many talents. His own uh, school for gifted young musicians in the UK as well, being a great example of that. Let's talk about the other big personality in the room, if you like, and that's the amazing Donatella Flick and mm -hmm. her competition. And um, I, I've obviously known Donatella for a good 30 years now, since I won the very first competition. She hasn't aged a day. She hasn't changed a bit. She's really quite unbelievable in so many ways. Um, but I, I've, I've often wondered what, what motivates her. I remember her early on saying that it was through her friendship with Sir George Schulte that she felt she wanted to give something back and create an occasion where young conductors could come through. I thought, well, that's all very good and very nice. How long will that last? But her enthusiasm seems undiminished. Here we are 30 years later, she's still at it. I know it, it's quite staggering. And, you know, she's a very busy woman. Um, she has a lot of interest, but I think music is her absolute passion. Um, and I, you know, she has said to me in many occasions, you know, my life would would not be worth living without music. And she's, you know, the uh, the whole idea of starting this competition, it, it's very simple, isn't it? Because if you are a very gifted instrumentalist, you can go and practice your craft in a, any number of ways. You can go and do a, put on a recital yourself. You can join a a chamber music group you can go and play in an orchestra uh, if you happen to be a very talented conductor you can't just go and um do what you want to or need to do because you need a whole group of people in front of you and it, it's so difficult to do that yeah and yeah. so expensive conductors conductors just don't have conductors stamped on their forehead or or like a stick of blackpool rock you know cut me in half and you'll see what i really am it's it's not like that. And we, we can only do something with colleagues. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, she just felt it was very important to encourage young conductors and give them this amazing platform. Um, and it's obviously, you know, it was a great idea and it has developed um, over 30 years and it's still going very strong and hopefully for many years to come. I'm sure it will, particularly in your capable hands. I'm being very flattering now, aren't I, Jess? Um, so let's talk about a little bit more about young musicians you've seen over the years, not individuals, but have you seen changing attitudes from, from young musicians? It's an incredibly crowded world out there for these folks. Have you seen the level of ability rising or, or their attitudes towards making music professionally or any changes? I'm not sure about the level of ability. Um, I think that has stayed fairly, fairly steady. Uh, I mean, I'm very lucky that I've, uh, you know, I see sort of the creme de la creme. So um, what does worry me a lot is um, how music education 
has not been funded properly. So I do worry for the young musicians of the future who don't have parents with the money to help them. Um, that's been particularly evident in the UK, I think. Um, and something really does need to be done and about it. And there are some wonderful um, young artists like Nikki Benedetti, for example, uh, who won Young Musician of the Year while I was there. And she has been such an amazing spokesperson for music education and um, really advocating for young people to be given the same opportunities that she had. Someone who went to the Menuhin School herself, but she knows what goes in to um, you know all the things that people, the parents have to do to sacrifice to get their children to a certain stage. Attitudes of the competitors, I think uh, probably a lot has changed for them with regard to the advent of social media. Mm. So whereby um, sort of early rounds of competitions or, um, you know, performances that they were doing, it would have been more private affair. Now everything that they do, somebody is streaming it or we're asking them if we can stream it or somebody wants them to do an interview or they're wondering how many many likes they're going to get from it so I, I I think they probably have a bit more pressure on them nowadays um and whether that affects them well or not remains to be seen I think so in the course of this very varied career of yours, both as um, an administrator of orchestras and other performances and competitions, there must have been some very funny moments, let's say. Anything you can recall in particular? Um, well, one thing springs to mind. Um, some, well, quite a few years ago now, actually, um, the BBC Symphony Orchestra was working with Sir Michael Tippett absolutely gorgeous gorgeous man absolutely delightful and we were doing some sessions recording sessions of his symphonies and it was quite a long week very very difficult intricate music and um he was conducting the orchestra absolutely loved him um but it was in the middle of the winter, it was cold in the church. And by the time we got to the end of the sessions, everyone was quite glad that it was over. But Sir Michael was um, in a room at the back of the church getting ready to go home. And the first trumpet who had played magnificently all through the week came walking through because that they the orchestra had to actually go through that way to to go out and Sir Michael just opened his arms ran towards him and said my dear boy that was fabulous grabbed him and gave him a huge big smacker of a kiss on the lips oh. <laughs> <laughs> to a trumpeter this was an absolute picture <laughs> but oh. there you go Wow. Something to be said, you got a kiss from Sir Michael. Yes, I'm sure it's on his resume. Uh, Jess, this has been lovely. Uh, I'm going to ask you one last question, if I may. Uh, it's a fairly easy one. So, what is the one thing in life that you're most proud of? 
Well, I think if if you are a mother and you've managed to get your kids to the stage of almost leaving home, <laughs> having one having been to university and one about to go back for her second year, um, in a healthy, positive, and um, what shall I say, um, pleasing way where they still talk to me and still want to spend some time with me. Um, I think that's probably what I'm most proud of, Andrew. I think that's a wonderful achievement. And Jessica Brennan, I want to thank you and congratulate you. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Jessica Brennan, the guiding hand behind two of the world's most significant music competitions. Next time, my guest will be perhaps the most individual of personalities I've interviewed yet. Over the last 20 years or so, musicians amongst you may have noticed a plethora of new editions of familiar masterpieces emerging from publishers. Why do we have these? And do we really need them? Well, the celebrated Beethoven scholar and editor Jonathan Delmar will be here to reveal all. I'm Andrew Constantine, and you've been listening to A Stick with a point.